open up our Bibles and join in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, it's on page 808 in the Pew Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, don't have a Bible, didn't bring a Bible, would you open it up and uh, join me uh, in it? Uh, I'd love for you to see this, and we're going to actually read the context as we often do, so it's important that you have it in front of you. This is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. God knows was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that not anyone is permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations... Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we, we pray. We pray asking you to unlock your wisdom and truth from this word, that they wouldn't just be words on a page but, Lord, that they would help us to live them the way the Apostle Paul shared in his example and the way he implored those who were reading it in first century Corinth to do so as well. God, I pray that my words would illuminate your truth, that our weaknesses would become our strengths in you. And it is in Jesus' name that all God's people said, Amen. Let me ask you a question. When interviewing for a new job, what would you say is the most difficult question that the interviewer can ask? Any, anybody? What's, what's the one you're always dreading? Your weaknesses. That's come up at all three. How many of you would agree? Show of hands. Okay, good. You must have read my manuscript. Because <laughs> that's my answer, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what are your weaknesses? And I, I was told once by an executive who did a lot of hiring that, that the best impression that you're ever going to get from someone uh, who's a potential employee is always in their interview. And, and the reason why is because we're trying to make a good impression, right? That's why weaknesses are so scary. Somebody who, who might struggle, let's say, to, to get places on time is going to take extra effort to show up early for an interview. Somebody who maybe doesn't have all the experience in a particular area might read up on it so that they can answer questions with confidence. Somebody who isn't used to dressing up might go out and buy a new outfit, new suit or a new dress. Um, Alyssa and I, uh, my wife, we 
were just dating at the time, and I had this interview at Northwestern Mutual in downtown Milwaukee. I was in college. It was for an internship, and I was a business major. And I was talking to her on the phone the night before, and she says, what are you going to wear? And, you know, like probably a lot of dudes in college, I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And she said, well, you should probably wear a suit. And I said, well, there's a problem. I don't own a suit. (laughs) And so we looked on uh, somewhere, and we found that the only place that was open was JCPenney. And so we went to JCPenney. I bought a suit. I still have that suit today, tucked in the tags. and went on my way to the interview. But that's, that's the culture of interviews, right? Like, you want to come prepared to show your best version of yourself. You're ready to answer the question, what are your strengths? But they inevitably always throw you the curveball, don't they? What are your weaknesses? And so with all of that, how do you answer that? What do you say? Do you say, well, you know, sometimes I work too hard. <laughs> you know, I've been told by other employers that I'm just too loyal, <laughs> My GPA in college was just too high. You have a place for it. The number was just so high. I, you know, I'm always the, the first one to show up and the last one to leave. The custodians are bothered because I'm at the desk and they're trying to vacuum around my feet, but I just can't stop working. I work harder and longer than anybody else. My managers can't manage me because they just give me work and I just get it done. And it's done right the first time. I hope you can deal with my flaws. Is that how you answer <laughs> that question? <laughs> Well, today is, we know that that as we read this passage, that if that was the way we should answer the question, the Apostle Paul would fail, (laughs) and he probably would never get hired. But it leads us into what we're talking about. As I said at the beginning, we're talking about the fear of being vulnerable, and it's our second to last message of the series. Next week, we're going to talk about, I want to give a plug for this, we're going to talk about mental illness. We're going to talk about depression specifically, and uh, there's a a member of our church and a good friend, her name is Trisha Bloom. She herself, um, she works for Children's Hospital Community Services in their foster care uh, department as a licensed social worker, but she has experienced clinical depression, and she's going to share, she felt called when I, I announced that we were going to do a series on fear. She called me and she said, Pastor Tom, I think God has put it on my heart um, to share my experience with this because I know how many people are afraid of admitting when they're not okay. (laughs) You know, we don't admit it to ourselves. We don't like to admit it to anybody else, even though more than one in five uh, American adults at any given time are dealing with depression, not to mention all the other things that we struggle with in body, mind, and spirit. And so she's going to share how God has come alongside her and has encouraged her in the midst of that struggle. And today is is maybe kind of a theological undergirding for that message. And so um, so that's that's how I want to present it today. Um, because being vulnerable is, is why we don't want to answer the weakness question, right? It's why it makes us so um, apprehensive and nervous because in a job interview specifically, there's no place for vulnerability or so we think. We're supposed to show our strengths. And at the same time, we also know that we should never answer the question the way I just did, Right? Because if you do that, and even if you do it more nuanced, and you give the right answer, even though you don't have the knowledge to back it up, ultimately you're writing checks you can't cash, and you're probably not going to make it very long in that job. Honesty, authenticity, even a healthy awareness of your strengths and your weaknesses, and maybe that's even more important, what you're not capable of is what acute managers look for in somebody that they're asking to join their team. But the Apostle Paul actually takes that whole thing a step further when he says this in verse 9. He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. 
I will boast about them. In other words, if Paul has the opportunity to spend a few minutes with you, he's going to talk about his strengths. He'll stream through those so that he can get to his weaknesses, which is what he's really excited to tell you. If Paul has an elevator speech, and he only has two minutes to tell you the essence of who he is, he's not even going to talk about his strengths. He's going to list to you his weaknesses. If Paul had a LinkedIn profile, or you looked at his first page of his resume, it would be filled with his failures. And here's the context for why. Just before our reading in chapter 11, Paul is, is making a case to the church in a place called Corinth that he's the real deal. They've had all these different teachers teaching them all of these things, these candidates, these prophets, and they're teaching them the wrong things about what it's like to follow Jesus. But the problem is now the Christians in Corinth are questioning whether Paul is the real deal, and so he's got to prove himself. And just before our reading, he writes this in chapter 11, verse 21. He says, he says, whatever any of these other candidates are saying, whatever anybody else dares to boast about, and then he says, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. The reason he's speaking as a fool is because these people are so preoccupied at what looks good on the outside, accomplishments and, and strengths and, and appearance and all of that. And I know we can't relate to that kind of culture today, right? So you have to just kind of put your head into first century um, here. But, but they were so preoccupied with it that the only way Paul was ever going to even get them to listen to him was if he would give them a little bit of his own accomplishments as well. But he's so uncomfortable doing it. He's so uncomfortable sharing all of this stuff because of what Jesus has done in his life and because of what he's about to share at the end that he says, I am a, I'm speaking as a fool. I am embarrassed that I even have to do this. But here I go. And then he goes in verse 22. He says, are these other guys, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? I went to the University of Israel. Are they Abraham's descendants? I came from the right family. So did I. Are they servants of Christ? And then I didn't add that. That's Paul. He goes, I'm out of my mind for even saying this. I am more. I've worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again and again. And so in the spirit of a job interview, you can kind of hear the hiring manager of Corinth say, okay, Mr. Paul, that's, that's nice, but why don't you share with me some examples? Because <laughs> you get that question when you're interviewing too, right? Those are your qualities. Well, let's share some examples. Paul says, you want some examples? Verse 25, three times I was beaten with a rod. <laughs> you like that one? Let me tell you another one. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Before Leonardo DiCaprio ever recorded Titanic, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger in rivers and bandits and fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger um, at the sea by false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've gone without food. I've gone without water. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides all of that, he says, I face the pressure daily for my concern for all the churches. And you can hear the manager going, I get it. <laughs> I asked for one example. I appreciate the 30 of them that you just listed for me. You've been through a lot. But Paul isn't finished. Look at that last verse. He says, besides all of those things, he says, 
He says, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And he goes on, verse 29. He says, who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? This is important. I skipped over this in my own study several times until I caught it. And I was like, wow, there's wisdom here. Look at this. He says that when anyone in the church is feeling weak, He is so empathetic with them that he too feels their weakness. That when somebody makes a mistake, when they mess up and they're led into sin, he himself takes on their shame. We don't do that. Like when somebody makes a mistake, right? Like especially Christians, and it's a terrible thing that so many Christians do. We like to puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel like we're better than the people that are making mistakes. And what Paul says is that when people are weak, I feel weak. That when people are led into sin, instead of standing at my bully pulpit, I feel the shame and the brokenness with them. And it's interesting because most of us use our strengths to set us apart from other people, don't we? We set ourselves apart through our strength. That's what a job interview is. You might not get the job if you sit down and say to the person, you know, you probably have better candidates than I do. (laughs) I got a lot of weaknesses. Can I start with those? Were you going to ask me that question? It's not what an interview is at all. You're trying to tell them how how employable you are, how you're more qualified than everyone else. And maybe there's a place for that, but there's a truth here. And I've heard it said a number of different ways. This is not my statement. I've heard it read, and it's what Paul is teaching us here. It's that people are impressed with our strengths, but they connect with our weaknesses. People are impressed with our strengths, but they connect with our weaknesses. They're impressed, right? We see people do all sorts of wonderful, amazing, impressive things. A couple weeks ago, and I shared this with this service, I think it was, uh, my boys and I, we went to our first NBA basketball game. We went to the Pfizer Forum, and we watched the Bucks play. It was so impressive, so impressive what they were able to do. But have you ever been around somebody who has nothing to say to you other than to tell you how awesome they are? (laughs) Do you ever connect with a person like that? No. It actually has the opposite effect. And so the question is, are you trying to impress or are you trying to connect? Paul doesn't want to impress. He wants to connect. And so he says this in the next verse. He says, so if I'm going to boast, I will boast on the things that show my weaknesses because people connect in weakness. And he says, God himself knows that I'm not lying. And then he says, let me share with you an example. There was this one time in Damascus, this is Paul. He's like, I was in Damascus, and, and the king had the governor, had the whole army out to arrest me. I, I was covered in every way, and I didn't know where to go. And the only way I could get out was to be lowered in a basket from a window through a wall, and I just slipped through his hands. You know who slips out a window in a basket? Not a grown man. Somebody who's weak. And if you don't believe me, I got a basket right here. Who wants to climb in? And I'll put you out the window. Right? That's not the story you tell. If you want to impress somebody, you tell a Goliath-like story. You say, you know what? The whole army was out to get me, but I didn't even care. I just busted through the front door. I said, if you're going to take me, you're going to have to take me dead. And I ran. But that's not the story Paul told. And if you know anything about Paul, it's amazing because he could have told that story. Most of his life, he was stronger. He was smarter. 
He was better. He had more authority in his world in every sphere of it. He had all kinds of stories from high school when he beat somebody up. He had all kinds of stories from business when he was the one who was victorious and made the money and did everything. He was awesome. He had all of those experiences. But if he's only got a little bit of time, he says, I don't want to tell you that story. As a matter of fact, he's probably not telling anybody those stories anymore. He wants to tell them about his weaknesses and so he continues in our reading today verse one he says i'm going to go on boasting there's nothing to be gained but i'll go on to a vision and revelation from the lord he goes and tells one more story and it's from 14 years ago when he was taken up 14 years before he wrote this when he was taken up to the third heaven and you'll notice in your bible that he he speaks it in the third person as as if to kind of distance himself from this experience, right? This is some, something that you could see in, in, in Greek literature. And, and he, he did this to, to be humble. That 14 years ago, sure, I, I experienced this, but let me tell you this in the third person. And, and he says that, that he went up to this third heaven, which, which is said in other places to be paradise. It's where in Revelation we read that Jesus went when he ascended after Easter. He went to the third heaven. And, and so Paul got to see this. And, and, and here's what Paul says about it. He says, I was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast them out myself except for my weaknesses. And you might look at that and you go, okay, well, that's fine. Paul is a humble man. I get the point. But he's also the Paul of the Bible. How could I possibly live like Paul? And the story goes, and the way Paul tells it is that you can. And the reason you can is because of what he's about to say next. Verse 7, he says, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul's whole life, he has spent amassing accomplishments and trophies and experiences He has been strong and not weak. But then Jesus, I mean, even Jesus showed him a taste of heaven, paradise. And he understands it because anybody in that situation would probably have pride and become conceited. Paul uh, Paul was given a thorn to keep him humble. And I want to point out that, that Paul wasn't given that thorn from God either. It was from Satan. And when you think about your life and you think about the thorns in your life, Oftentimes, it's that way for us as well. God doesn't give us those things all the time. God doesn't put all of those broken places in our lives and false, broken hopes and unrealized dreams and cancer and all this kind of stuff. It's not necessarily that it comes from God, but God's promise is that he can use it. And he can use it to teach us the points that Paul is about to make about the Christian faith that he's been working toward making the entire time. Verse 9, he said, I asked three times for, for God to take this thorn away from me. We don't know what the thorn is, but I've asked him several times because that's what human beings do is we ask for relief. And here's how God answered my prayer. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. Would you read the last sentence for me? For when? And I heard this passage preached a number of years ago now, and it wasn't in a church wasn't cited, nobody said anything about God, but I could hear this passage as clear as day. Uh, my wife Alyssa and I, we were taking a, a training that was required in our um, foster care journey, and it was a, a training that was titled Bonding and Attachment. It was a gut-wrenching uh, topic because it taught what the long-term impact can be on a child when they are not able to healthily bond and attach to their caregiver, or to their parent. And oftentimes, that's the story of kids that come into care. And then they, they give us this model, and, and current psychology bases it on what's known as the Falberg's arousal relaxation cycle of secure attachment. I'm looking over at Megan. She's probably the only one in the room who knows what I'm saying because she studied some of these things. You got me, right? Right? For the rest of us, don't worry. That's the only Greek I'm going to share with you today. This is, this is how it works. Very simple, okay? It's actually very, very simple, and you're going to agree with me um, and agree with Fallberg, okay? As human beings, and this works, this works for all of us, not just for kids, um, but the context was for kids. We have needs, and what we do, and it's natural, is we express those needs, Right? So, for example, let me just, you know, in case you're having trouble following me, why don't I give you a little picture? Is that good? That'll be me, so one, one hair. All right. And here's the kid. All right? All right, so I don't know if that's helpful at all. <laughs> so... So we have needs. So let's, let's go back to like, this is natural humanity, right? Like this is indwelled in us. This is how we work. Um, go all the way back to a child that has literally just come into the world. What is the first thing that an infant does when they leave their mother's womb and they enter into the open air? If everything's healthy and everything's going well, what's the first thing they do? Anybody? They cry. And the reason they cry is because they have needs. They have all kinds of needs. They're, all their needs have been met for nine months, right? They've been in this nice little warm cocoon. They're eating. They're drinking. Everything's coming through the umbilical cord. They get to jump up and down on this wonderful trampoline they later find out was mommy's bladder. Like, all of this stuff is just wonderful. And then they're born, and they come into the world, and there's this bright light and this air, and they got to work for their needs and all this stuff. And so they cry, and it expresses the needs that they have. They're afraid. They need to be comforted. They need to be fed. All of these things. And so what the nurse will do, what the doctor will do, is they will hand that child off to their parents to meet that need. It's a very important part of the process. It's not just for the photo. That child immediately is handed, if it's possible, over to the parent so that the parent can comfort the child. And the reason the parent comforts the child is to bring the child peace by their needs being met, and then the cycle continues. Now, anybody who's ever had a child, you know that just because their need is met once doesn't mean they don't have more needs, right? 
God actually designed us, again, this isn't Falberg saying God did it, but I'm saying God did it, to have a lot of needs when we're little. We have all sorts of needs that we cannot meet on our own so that we would express those needs and the caregivers in our life would meet those needs and we would find peace. And secure attachment occurs when you go around and around and around the cycle over and over again and you become close to one another. Now the sad thing that we learn is that most children in foster care have at some point in their lives had this cycle broken. They've been neglected, they've been abused, and the needs that they have have not been met by the people that are supposed to meet those needs. And there's one example I'll share with you. We had a little girl, she was four months old. This is one of our first, this one of our first placements, um, not someone who's with us right now. And when she, was, when she was placed in our home, she didn't cry. And we later found out the reason she didn't cry was because she had been, quote, playpen trained. And we didn't know what that meant, and we learned what it meant. It meant that her family had learned, and this is probably going on with all of their children, and this was just the way they were taught to parent children, was that when the child is born and they come into your home and they cry, you leave them in the playpen, and you don't do anything. You don't meet their needs, you don't hold them, you don't do anything until they stop crying so that they don't cry anymore. And those of us who who know better, we would go, oh my goodness, how could anybody ever possibly do that? But when you start to understand the dynamics in many of these families, it's because that's the only way they know. That's just what everybody's been doing. And for some, it might be because maybe they have several children in a one-bedroom apartment, and that apartment is in this apartment complex. And if that baby keeps crying, the neighbor's going to call the landlord, and they're going to get evicted, and now they don't have a home, right? Like, there's all these factors, so we don't want to be quick to judge anybody. But this little girl came into our home, and she did not cry. And so what we learned as we went through this, this training is that the, the attachment hadn't occurred because she, she had needs. She was hungry. She was thirsty. She was afraid. She needed to be comforted and express those needs. And when a child expresses their needs over and over again and they're not met, they stop crying. They stop asking. And the attachment is broken. And that's what happened to this little girl. But the hope in attachment is that people are also resilient and they can reattach if they learn the right way. And so what we did is we started to feed her because she was four months old, and we knew that every couple of hours, a little girl of this size and all of that needed to be fed, and so we wouldn't wait for her to express her need to be fed because she wasn't going to do it. We just did it. We fed her need, met her need, and she was brought to peace. And we met her need, and she was brought to peace. And what happened was over time, she would start to whimper when she was hungry. And then she would start to cry when she was hungry. And by the year and a half of her being with us, by the time she left, not only did she tell us everything she wanted, if she was hungry, she'd steal it from your plate. She didn't even care. You know why? Because she attached to us. And she was able to go home because her mom and her family learned to be able to attach to their daughter as well. But see, when I was listening to this, and as Alyssa and I were, were, were learning all of these things, I actually wasn't thinking about any of this stuff. I was poking at Alyssa. She probably remembers this. And I was saying, that's the gospel. 
At that time, I could see these passages right here that when we are weak, he is strong. Because just think about it. Follow this with me for a minute. Can I say that a synonym for a need is a weakness? Would you agree with that? See, a need is something you can't meet on your own. A weakness is something you don't have the strength to fulfill for yourself. Express need. Well, I got another word for that in the church. It's called prayer, right? I have a weakness, and I pray. Paul prayed three times for that thorn to be taken away, and God met his need. Now, sometimes God meets the need by pulling the thorn out. Sometimes God meets the need the way he met it for Paul, by giving him grace that is sufficient in his weakness. But God is always with us when we pray. And he is stronger the more we pray in our weaknesses. And when that happens, we are given peace. And over time... (laughs) we find ourselves more and more attached to God. Are you following me? And that's why God doesn't always take away the things that burden us, friends. That's why sometimes the answer is different than what we expected it to be. That's why life can be hard, because more than just giving us everything we want, what Jesus came to do was to attach to you. He wanted to be bonded to you and to me. And so Paul says, don't waste your time boasting about your strengths. But I want to tell you about all of my weaknesses because Paul would say that in every single one of my weaknesses, as I have brought them to God in prayer, I have found him to be my strength. And sometimes it's strength because he answers the prayer. Sometimes it's strength through his grace. Sometimes it's strength for hope, knowing that he's not done yet. And I can tell you that because God has given me hope so many times in what I just shared with you earlier this morning. So many moments where it would have been wonderful for that thorn to be taken away, but in that moment his grace was sufficient for the weakness, which brought peace, if not conclusion. And the process continues that we might grow closer to him. That's why a a pastor, his name's John Piper, he preached a message on this And I thought this quote was really good. I made a couple changes, but the essence is the same. He said, what we often want is power to escape weakness and leisure. Right? We all do. Paul wanted that. That's why he asked. Take it away. But true Christianity offers power to endure weakness and love. That's what God has done for us when he sent his son Jesus. In Philippians 4, or Philippians 2, Paul says this. He says, being found in the appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God came down from heaven and placed himself in the weakness of the form of a man. He prayed to the Father. And on the cross, our prayers were answered that bring us peace now and all of eternity because of the weakness that God has brought upon himself for you and for me. Amen? And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you We thank you for the peace that goes beyond our understanding. And we thank you for bonding with us through your blood on the cross. That in a way that is even deeper than the way of Paul, you feel for our weaknesses. That you have come into our lives to bond with us in the midst of our sin.
And so, Lord God, I pray right now, those of us who are here in this place, who have weaknesses, who have unrealized hope, who are praying for a miracle, who have been broken and detached by loved ones and have been broken and detached from you. God, may we lay our strengths aside and may we boast in prayer in our weaknesses. May we be real and honest with you about what our needs are. And may we give you the chance to attach yourself to us so that your grace might be sufficient in the midst of it and that we may find peace in you. And Lord Jesus, help us not to just do this every Sunday, but help us to do this again and again and again and again that we may grow closer and closer to you. As we open our eyes, it's, it's this very purpose that God gave us this meal for. Then Jesus sat with the disciples before he would be betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, Jesus took the cup of blessing. He gave thanks and he gave it for all to drink, saying, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenants in my blood, which is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. I find it fascinating that Jesus gave us this sacrament to remember his love by. But it wasn't that he gave us, you know, you just think like Easter, right? That's, that's the day. <laughs> because Easter is the day when Jesus conquered death and he rose from the grave. But when he gave us an element to remember his love by, he didn't say to the first century, that first generation of Christians, I want you every time you gather together, I want you to take a rock. <laughs> And remember that the stone was moved away and Easter came. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to remember me by taking bread and wine and joining with me in weakness. Because he knows that in strength we're impressed, but in weakness we connect. And Jesus wants to connect with you. And so whatever your weakness is, would you just join me this morning? Nobody, nobody has to know. I think there's power in people knowing. But nobody has to know in this moment. But it's between you and God. Would you open up your hand? And when you open up your hand, would that be your prayer to God? Here's my weakness. I don't have what it takes. And I am praying for an answer. And as we pray, may we not just pray our own words, but may we pray the words that Jesus has taught us to pray. And through his faith, may they become our own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.